If you have kids and bedtime is a bleep, our guest today, blogger and behavior therapist Amelia Bowler, shares about how to save your sanity, get the kids to bed, and get down to funky town, or at least enjoy the rest of your evening in peace. She'll give us the step-by-step process to create the kind of bedtime you always dreamed of for your kids. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins right now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Welcome back, friends. This is episode 70 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast, and we're your hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. Each week, we're bringing you interviews designed to inspire you to build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Yeah, Amelia Bowler, the behavior godmother, is here to get the Williams household back on track with bedtime. Oh, good. We'll share hilarious antics from real life as Amelia gives us a step-by-step method to achieving a peaceful bedtime. Do you remember the first time we took uh, the, the side part off of Allie's toddler bed? Well, this was the first time we really had to contemplate the idea of our child might get out of their bed and come back and ask <laughs> us for something. She wasn't even two yet because we were about to do our giant. That's right. That's right. We were about to do our giant RV trip and we thought, well, she's never been out of a crib, much less, you know, in a moving vehicle sleeping. (laughs) So, you know, we we thought. Not that she was like. Flying around. Yeah, no, no, no. But. We took the side off her toddler bed and I told her, I said, honey, don't get out of your bed unless mom and dad come in here to get you. Otherwise, you might hurt yourself getting out of bed because she was. She was little. She she was little. And so she. Okay. And then then like immediately the goofing and she like she she, like held on to the one side and like swung around and bonked her face on the side of the she like totally (laughs) cracked her head she wiped out on doing exactly what i told her not to do but the beautiful part about this was that for probably a year after that she never got out of her bed in the middle of the night or without us being there remember and we said like oh honey i'm sorry you hurt yourself are you okay you know that's why we said not to get out when without mom and dad's help whatever okay it was like remember when we would say things and she would just go Okay, and then then she would she literally never got out of the bed. Yeah, she she didn't. would cry, scream, call for us, throw stuff at the door. Yeah, you know she wouldn't get to, out of bed. Try to throw paper airplanes for messages, tap out Morris code, <laughs> whatever. But she wouldn't get out of the bed. It was crazy. It was a beautiful thing. I it don't, was awesome. I don't honestly think she got out of bed until her little sister started getting out of bed. Yes, little sister didn't learn the lesson quite so well. So here's the deal. Bedtime, you know, we're talking about this today because it's so important for kids to have a consistent bedtime and and it's health for emotional, physical, spiritual health and all this other stuff. But the real reason is we get about two hours of time to to not be parents. Well, we're parents, but we just get some Well, maybe you are. We get some peace. We get some time together to have an adult conversation. Or watch a show that isn't a cartoon. Or have a conversation that doesn't involve toilet humor. 
What's wrong with toilet humor? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you, you seem to love it. <laughs> I do. Mm-hmm. I do. All right. So today on the show, we have Amelia Bowler, and she is going to give us a way to make our dream bedtime realized. So let's get to it. Okay. So we are joined today by Amelia Bowler. She is the behavior godmother and i hope she has a magic wand because we have some serious situations that we need to discover today but anyways i I feel like i feel like we're about to have a conversation with super nanny only for real yes um y'all remember that show would you be surprised if i told you i dressed up as her for halloween i would not be surprised at that That's amazing, but she she loves to help families, especially those with challenging behavior problems, even kids with ADHD, autism, and other brain differences, and is really an issue for the whole family. So she talks about how to get the whole family in on this behavior therapy. Welcome to the show, Amelia. Hey, it's so good to be here. All right, Amelia, you're going to, just so you know, you're going to fix our kids in the course of this podcast. So prepare yourself. (laughs) All right. So how did you get into behavior therapy for kids? Well, I started out as one of the kids who needed behavior therapy. So that was a really immersive way to get started. I was absolutely tuned out. I was undiagnosed ADHD, just on another planet most of the time. And I always wondered, like, isn't there a way to help me? (laughs) Isn't there like something someone could do so I'm not completely out of the loop all the time? Uh, So the closest thing I could think of was to become a teacher. So maybe I could help other kids like me. And I got into education and it was exciting to be in education, but I always felt a little uncertainty. Like, is this just a philosophy? How do I know what I'm doing is really effective? Then when someone introduced me to behavior science, I was like, oh, yes, this is measurable. This is provable. There are some real foundational ideas here I can get behind. So th- I can make a big difference with this. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm really glad that I found it. Yeah. So what exactly is behavior science? It's a pretty new science, actually. Well, psychology in general is pretty new. But in the 50s and 60s, you had B.F. Skinner, and he's wondering, like, are there patterns that we can notice about how people, or actually, to begin with, animals respond? How do I measure this? How do I predict what they're going to do next? How do I get more of what I want and less of what I don't want? So it started out with animal research, and then, of course, it started to grow. And I think the first place that it was really embraced is with people with very severe disabilities, because up until that point, we had this whole section of our humankind that was essentially written off. Uh, we don't know what to do with these people. They don't respond to the n- typical things that everybody does. So we'll just warehouse them, basically, and tolerate them. So what behavior science started to allow us to do is really take learning down to its most essential elements and then introduce it in a really individualized way to help people with really severe disabilities. So then it started to catch on and people said, well, if you can do that with people who were unable to speak for so many years, what could you do with the workplace? What could you do with safety? What could you do with family therapy? So it's really starting to kind of soak into other disciplines. Really? That's where it started. Okay, so I'm just wondering, the the uh, explanation that you shared there, does behavior therapy brainwash you or does it become, does it make you become more of your true self? Can we turn our kids into uh, the winter soldier? 
Ah, good uh, point. I think that there were some <laughs> some promises that were unfulfilled in behavior science. There, like John Watson, honestly believed that you could make anybody anything using behavior science, and his children suffered as a result. I'm sorry to say, oh, and he had to recant. He said, "Like I'm sorry, that was that was unrealistic." So there are limits to what you can do, but I think. Now we're moving away to that sort of coercive model, like I'm going to decide who you're going to be and I will punish you or reward you until you behave that way. The ethical starting point that I always bring to the table is what do you need more of? What do you need less of? And how can I make that easier for you? How can I teach you the skills that you need to get what you want out of life? So it's much more client-centered now. Okay, so our kids, our big battle is always bedtime. Bedtime is crazy. And and I don't know, you said you work with kids that have pretty severe issues. And then I'm sure you work with kids all across the spectrum. But what is considered normal bedtime shenanigans for kids? And what is really bad behavior? Okay, I love the word shenanigans, just to begin with. And a lot of my observations, I have to confess, these are from my like home laboratories. Like I, I have my kids and I observe them and I, I do try out things on them. So they're the perfect guinea pigs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're just sitting ducks. <laughs> yes. So I think it's normal to want to hang out with your mom and dad and it's normal to be a little anxious to be in the dark. It's normal not to want to be alone. And if you like your parents, you want to see more of them. Also, I kind of, when you asked me that question earlier, I thought about parents, what's normal for adults? We don't go to bed when we're supposed to. We're having fun. We don't want to stop. So I think anybody who's having fun is going to have a little bit of difficulty making a transition. So I sort of resist the word bad behavior. It's not bad behavior, but it is a bad result if it ends up with parents not getting a break, with kids not getting their sleep or finishing your day with a war. Yes, yes, that's the part that really, really irks me is like we have this pleasant day and, you know, we're lovey and we're, you know, bath time and stories and it's all we're sweet fun. and it's nice. And then I have to turn into, I always tell them, I said, don't make me go into mean mom mode. And well, like inevitably it happens. Yeah. And I'm like, got to bed. And I shut the door. It's all good <laughs> up until the moment like... When you actually start to walk out of the room yep. at the very last end, then all of a sudden the kids who had no energy to brush their teeth or go to the bathroom <laughs> or put on their own pajamas suddenly have 94,000 questions and one last things and send in grandma to sing a song and can we change the music on the radio and can I go check my backpack for something and can we and... plan a camping trip for next week and <laughs> yeah it's amazing like we literally are dragging limp bodies up the stairs because yeah. they're so tired they cannot brush <laughs> in their mouth and then I mean, they're literally falling asleep on the hall in the hallway mm, yeah and then by the time we get them into bed whole new life whole new life second wind yeah I actually had a list of things that kids might do before bedtime but you've you know you've covered it and beyond yeah, there's literally no end to what they can come up with. Yeah, why do they? How do we get rid of this extension? Because you're too awesome. You're so nice. They want to keep hanging out with you. Is that really why? 
All right, that's it. From dinner time on, it I'm is not total, awesome. total bad dad. Yeah, but they won't <laughs> want to hang out with you anymore. Oh, no. Shut the door on your way out. Yep. <laughs> well, look, uh, behavior scientists don't like to to casually answer the question of why right off the bat, but we do sort of observe and look to see, okay, what might be encouraging this behavior and like what makes it go and what makes it stop? What makes it stop? What it seems to me is they're about to get a significant drop in attention from the parents and the behavior that they're showing you continues to get attention from the parents. So they're going to keep it up until it doesn't work anymore. Mm. Well, I'm not going to sit in their room all night long. So it's basically, I what I hear there is it's about training us mostly. <laughs> right? It's this a collaborative process. <laughs> There's, well, that's the thing too, is I feel like we're consistent, you know, 70-ish percent of the time. But then that other 30 is like, if I'm too annoyed or too tired or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it might go a different way. I I disagree. I think we do the same thing every night. It's the exact same thing every night. Can I ask you, what would be your ideal, perfect bedtime? Let's see. They usually get up around 6 a.m. So if if they were to have breakfast, play for like an hour, and then go to bed for the day, that'd be... Stop, honey. <laughs> okay, I forgot who. <laughs> here, would be, here would be my idea. No, no, no. Give them another hour to do chores. Okay. <laughs> here would be my ideal situation. Okay. Clock says, you know, it's time to go to bed. And then we'd be sitting downstairs doing what we want to do. And we'd say, hey, kids, go upstairs, brush your teeth, get your PJs on, and then come down and give us hugs. We'll read a story. And then we'd say, good night, go tuck yourselves in. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be pretty ideal. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, because there's a degree to which I, I like putting them to bed. Mm, I don't like, at all. Like I don't, I, but I just want it to be, they're both at the point where they know how to brush their teeth. They can both get clothes on and off. Like that part, yeah, we I, just, have to I don't want to have to stand there and argue or threaten or or bribe or be any part of that like I, I just it's just exhausting um but the i don't mind reading stories i don't mind tucking them in but when it's done i just want to be done like mm-hmm. okay good night and the reality is I, i've gotten to the point where um i'm not proud of this but more often than not when the one more thing start yeah. i move from Okay, girls, good night. What? <laughs> Leave me alone. Lay down and go to sleep. Pretty much. <laughs> Does it work? It creates momentary drama and then it works. <laughs> or it creates momentary drama followed by a pause of quiet, followed by Coming back little tender hearts traumatized by... Daddy... Yeah. Do you still love me? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Amelia, what should we be doing here? Okay. It sounds like what you're looking for, there's two categories I'm hearing. One of them is you're looking for an increase in the independence, um, in the sort of getting ready for bed part of things. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking for how do I set a boundary when it is time to go to bed and they've got my back against the wall because I can't literally hold their eyes closed. 
Mm-hmm. Ooh, there's an idea. Hold on. <laughs> Write that down. Hold <laughs> eyes closed. Well, speaking of which, speaking of which, there is the hey kids, does this rag smell like chloroform? Model of putting them to bed. What do you think about that? <laughs> if you don't have chloroform in the house, I do have some alternatives. Oh, oh she's okay. suggesting alternatives. I think that's a hard no, honey. Uh, I would say back. consult your local law authorities. <laughs> <laughs> um, I we we have uh, dosed them with melatonin on more than oh more, yeah more than a couple occasions. Sure, and we put a lavender essential oil in their little diffuser. So I think that's yes. a little f- friendlier version than what you're talking about, honey. Yeah, for sure. Like any behavior has got a biological element to it, so you want to have that angle covered. Let's go back to the getting ready for bed independently. So you're pretty sure that your kids have this skill set down pat, but they're kind of involving you more than than you would like. What would happen if you just said, sweetie, can you please go upstairs, brush your teeth and get your pajamas on? I need you to help me. (laughs) I'm too tired to go upstairs. Where's Snoopy? Where's my bear? Yes, that the incessant whining is probably the answer. Let's go on a road trip to Grandma and Grandpa. <laughs> so why Pythagorean theorem? <laughs> I'm sorry. Why do you think they're doing that? Because they live to torture me. No, they just want us it's all. It's payback to... for all the times I did that stuff to my parents. <laughs> Probably <laughs> karma. <laughs> um, so I think it more has to do with we have a culture in our family of like, we're a team, togetherness. Mm-hmm. We yeah. love each other and love to do things together. So I think for them, brushing teeth is no exception to that. Mm-hmm. We're getting dressed. What are the things they're expected to do by themselves? Get dressed, <laughs> brush their teeth. <laughs> That's not it. Well, no. They Actually do. put the food from their plate into their mouth, not on the floor, the table, they're, somehow on the ceiling, things like that. They're supposed to take their plates over to the counter. They're expected to clean up their room. Mm-hmm. They have quite a few things like especially getting ready for dinner. They have a lot of roles of like, get your own drink, mm-hmm. set the table, things like that. Okay. So independence is to an extent of value in your household, but also togetherness. Yes. Okay. Which is tricky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you were to introduce this, it would be, you know, as a responsibility, it's your responsibility to get your pajamas on and get your teeth brushed. But when it comes to kids or actually any behavior, you always have to look at like, what's the payoff? If I could do it with mom and dad and get more attention and sort of spend less effort doing it, why wouldn't I campaign for that option versus doing it by myself? So whenever there's like a chain of behavior, like a pattern that we're seeing over and over again, we always look at how can we break that up a little bit? How can we reshuffle it? So that the good stuff, the fun stuff, comes after the hard stuff. So if the hard stuff is getting dressed and getting your teeth brushed, for example, you could take their favorite part of the routine and switch it. Okay, when you're done getting your pajamas on and your teeth brushed, 
why don't you meet me over here for some stories? And sometimes that's too big a leap, like total like going limp (laughs) versus full automation. That is a big, big, big leap. So you might sort of set it up in baby steps. This is another behavior science technique where it's called shaping or successive approximation, right? So you start with these limp bodies that you're carrying up the stairs. And what would be like the next sort of reason? Could you carry them up the stairs and then wait in the hallway outside? Yeah. Or like help them by, I would say like the girls have clothes set up to go to school and things like that Mm -hmm. they always have there's always some drama even around picking out pjs to go to bed it's Mm like oh no i don't want those pjs i want my dory pjs i want you know Mm -hmm. and so maybe even just having pjs set out for them i have an idea i have an idea let's eliminate some decision fatigue and we'll just get them each seven Sets of pajamas they all look the that same. are all the exact same. Just gray <laughs> tops and bottoms. That's it. Honey, why do you have such a harsh view? You're really a lovely, awesome, because, fun parent. Because there's a certain degree of like, seriously, pajamas? You're going to worry about what pajamas you're wearing? Okay. I'm like, sure Amelia Go has- to bed naked. I don't care. Just lay down and go to sleep. It's time to go to sleep! Well, I'm not going to advocate for a full gulag. But what I <laughs> oh, okay, no full, full gulag. But what I have seen work with some families is okay. Do you do you eat breakfast cereal? This is it's going to sound off topic, but it's not. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So if you save your boxes and if they're roughly the same size, you stack them up and you tape them together, and now you've got a little like homemade shelf that's just perfect for a set of pajamas. So you ask the kids to put them in the slot. And that's the pajamas they're going to wear each night of the week. But do they switch their pajamas or do they wear the same ones? I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure out what we could do to kind of like motivate them to really focus on other things than the minutia of. I feel like maybe this, this has been my thought is like story time starts at 730 or whatever it is. And if you're still dorking around with brushing your teeth. It's supposed to be seven. Well, whatever. I'm just saying. And Allie wanted it to be at 630. Okay, so it's 7 o'clock. So I think first we need to get aligned about what time bedtime actually is. I think we do too. But let's say it's And by us getting aligned, I mean you need to actually do what we agreed to. Can I just finish my (laughs) At 7 o'clock and I'd say, hey, it's story time. And if you're still dorking around brushing your teeth, well, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm starting stories and story time ends in 10 minutes. So if you're still, you know, laying limp in the hallway, well, then I guess you miss out. That's my thought. I'm not sure. Uh, we I've actually tried that technique. It works pretty, pretty well. We'll come back to our conversation with Amelia Bowler in just a moment. But first, an opportunity we don't want you to miss. Community is so essential to our marriages. Not only community with other couples, but men with their men folk and women with their women folk. Um, and couples really come together. Why? To support, encourage, and call one another forth. We just learn so much from each other. So join our community on Facebook where we're always talking about the topics from the podcast and so much more. So join our tribe of couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. 
You can find us at legendarymarriage.com slash community. And now back to our conversation with Amelia Bowler. We'll give the kids snack. We'll start at seven o'clock and they can extend a snack like almost indefinitely. If you don't put a boundary on it, they will have like another full course meal with eight desserts. And so we like, we have to tell them, oh, the kitchen is closing in a few minutes. Do you want, you know, last orders. And then from there, I used to try to hustle them every step of the way. Like, okay, guys, pajamas, pajamas, pajamas. And they can find 8 million things to do including dropkick each other. On the way to get those pajamas, there are lots of things they'd rather do. So at one point I tried this very, I tried to like incentivize the pajama routine by making it super, super fun. Like, oh, I'm the dressinator and I'm going to get your pajamas on. Like, I just wanted to get through it as fast as I could. So I made it really silly and fun and that was good for a little while. But yeah, I I wanted them to be more independent. So I said this, "Uh, guys, lights out is at eight o'clock. If you get your pajamas on and your teeth brushed super, super fast, we're going to have time for a gazillion books. We will read until eight o'clock. So the longer you spend getting your pajamas on, the shorter our book time is going to be. And they eventually got it. So that's the sort of incentivizing that I think you're going for there. Yeah, I like that. Now, when you set up a consequence like that, you do have to sort of think it through. Like, what if they don't? What happens if they've yeah, goofed around and there's now no stories or just one story, then what will happen? Is this something that they're going to be able to cope with or is this going to create another problem for you? The problem is they're so adaptive. Yeah. It just kind of, they're just like, oh, okay. And then you just find something else to procrastinate with. You know what? I don't, it, it would cause a momentary blip on the radar, I think, yeah. but it wouldn't be the end of the world, I don't think. Would something like a timer or a visual of some kind help keep the kids on task? So for example, if you want, I can send you a link to some examples of like just little visuals, like little checklists that kids can like flaps to open and close. Like, what do I got to do? Oh yeah. Pajamas, put my clothes in the laundry, get my toothbrush, run downstairs, have books. And then they, they close little flaps as they go. Sometimes just having um, a visual will keep them on track. And what it does best is it takes you out of the equation. They do not hear your voice. They see the picture on the wall and they're regulating themselves rather than just waiting around for oh, mom or dad I to say, love that. what are you doing? I love that. I love that a lot. You could combine that with, I mean, there are, there are tech solutions. There's a really lovely app called ChoiceWorks that will help you set up a visual schedule where you actually take photos of the kids and their stuff and it'll set up a timer for you. And then you can show them what's waiting for them at the end of it. Or you could just do it the sort of low tech way. I like that. Yeah, but I think having a timer, like, what's a reasonable time? Is is five minutes enough time? Okay, this timer will let you know when five minutes has gone by and you need to hurry up and get to the next step. You could have one kid in charge of the timer one night and then switch so they're policing each other. Anything that you could delegate. Yeah, I like that. Okay. You're transforming our world. <laughs> oh, I got something really good for you, actually, because, I mean, this is all... You okay. can you can bluff your way through the the pajama routine, but then it's really crunch time when it's lights out, right? Like that's that's the most miserable part of the day. Here's what I got for you. It's actually a combination of two things. There's behavior skills training, which kind of reiterates the fact that when you're learning a new skill, you have to talk about it, you have to see someone else do it, and then you have to do it sort of for pretend before you really get the hang of it. 
And I've also thrown in a little bit of collaborative problem solving, which is based on the work of Dr. Ross Green, who is really, really good at getting kids to cooperate without the coercion and the control and the threats that none of us really hoped to have to deploy when we became parents. Right. <laughs> okay. So you ready but for this? Yeah, we, but yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because if we run out of ideas, that's usually the what happens. Do. Like, um, all right. Um, how about fear? Does that work for you? <laughs> how about misery? And have a, heaven yeah. forbid you have to spank a kid before they go to bed. Oh my like, gosh. I just like, I think yeah. I've had to do that one time ever, but that's like the worst good night ever. Like in yeah. general, yeah. like we've spanked maybe a half handful of times mm-hmm. only when it was pretty dire circumstances. Yeah. But well, Amelia, what's your way in on that? Well, I have never, ever put that into a behavior plan because normally what we can, what we start with is building skills and motivating kids so that we can get the behavior that we want and we can replace the behavior that we don't want. Um, Ethically, in order to keep my certification, I can't actually introduce a punishment unless it's sort of a dire circumstance. Like if you're working with a really severe problem behavior. um, And part of the reason for that is, well, there are lots of unwanted side effects from punishment and you get you know, children will imitate us. They will learn how to threaten and punish each other. Uh, they may avoid us. They may find ways around what we're asking them to do. Like we might get some sort of surprising replacement behaviors. <laughs> but overall, the, the fundamental thing is when you punish a behavior, it's not as effective as replacing it and, and motivating kids to do something better. Or, and I shouldn't even say kids, it's just humans in general respond better to rewards than punishments. Makes so yeah, that, that's not in my plan today. Okay. All right. So <laughs> what, okay. That was kind of a sidetrack, but what is the plan? Okay. Here's my plan. Here's where we start. We start with empathy. We start with getting in the same team. So you, you're sitting at breakfast. Now this is None of this is happening at bedtime. The, one of the tricks to behavior science is <laughs> so little of it actually happens when you're having the problem behavior because you're trying to set yourself up for success. So you're having breakfast the next morning. You're sitting around with your OJ and you say, guys, remember last night when we all cried at bedtime and you cried and I cried and mommy slammed the door? And they say, oh, yes, that, that was terrible, mommy. You should not do that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> So we're agreed. We start with something that we can all agree on. And and then you ask a few more yes questions. Yeah, you really did not want to go to bed. And you did not like it when I was yelling. So what we're doing is we're creating a little bit of uh, of buy-in for, for change. Like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could do something different? Okay. Now, so that's step one. Step one is empathize. We don't like the way things are. It's important to do this in a we kind of way or even from the kid's perspective Because if we started out as sort of an accusation, like, oh, you were so naughty, um, we don't, we don't get the child's involvement. They're right. That makes sense. Yeah. They're, they're on the defensive to start with. So let's start uh, as a team. So next you invite them to start solving the problem with you. So it sounds like, you know what, let's do this a different way. What do you think you would like me to say to you at bedtime? And 
what do you think you would like me to say when you ask me for a hundred things and it's way past your bedtime? So you get them to start thinking and put, putting themselves in your shoes so that you can learn a little bit about what, what might actually work. They might say something completely silly, but what you're hearing from them is, you know, this is what bothers me. This is what I love. You could even ask a question that's more direct, like, why do you think you have trouble when mommy closes the door? Mm. Just explore that a little bit in, in a very non-judgmental way. Like, hey, man, what's what's going on? And they, sometimes at this stage, they give you really, really useful information. They mm. say, it's too dark. They say, the wind makes a weird noise. Or they say, I just miss you. So that becomes something that you can actually work with yeah. rather than just a power struggle. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you're having this conversation. And... The next thing that you do, once you get some ideas from them, is now it's your turn. You, in this process, this is so lovely because you get to like demonstrate empathy and listening, and then you get to turn the tables on them like, well, now it's time for you to listen to my concerns. And once you've done it for them, they'll normally turn around and do it for you. So you say, you know what? I'm actually worried that if we don't go to bed on time, that I won't have time to, you know, pack you, get your lunch set up properly. I'm worried that you're going to be grumpy the next day. And actually, I get really tired and I just need a rest at the end of the day. So you can share things from your perspective. We just, we're just going to start with the kids to sort of get them in the mood to listen. Mm-hmm. I like oh. it. Okay. okay. So we're teaching them a little bit of problem solving and we're teaching them a little bit of perspective taking. Um, and this is the st- step at which... You know, that perfect evening that you described, you tell them what you wish it looked like. So now both of you are sort of sharing like the ideal scenario and putting it together. So for example, I tried this with my kids and it it worked surprisingly well. I said, you know what I wish instead of saying, no, when I try to close the door, you know what I wish you would say? I wish you would say, Good night, mommy. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> wouldn't yeah. that be great? <laughs> and I wish that I could just say, guys, do you need anything? And then you could tell me like one thing and I would, do, I would do one thing for you. So here's where you negotiate. You don't negotiate with your back up against the wall at 11 p.m. You negotiate well beforehand so everybody knows what the boundaries are. So I said to my kids, for example, I noticed that you guys really like extra hugs and kisses. So how about this? I will say good night, mommy. And, or I'll say good night, children. And that means you can say good night, mommy. And then I will be so happy and I will come and give you extra hugs and kisses. My kids are sort of on the younger side, but that's sort of how it's gone. And then they, because we set it up this way, they kind of feel like they're getting away with something. They're like, oh, we get extra. Yeah. But really, you're just setting the boundaries. Like, this is exactly how long I'm willing to stay with you, but you're selling it to them. I like that. I like that. And uh, extra hugs and kisses, that doesn't even involve like going into their backpack or like sorting through the laundry or anything like that. It's just a hug and a kiss. I've noticed that one of my kids does get a little bit of anxiety at bedtime. And yeah. One thing that really works, though, is to have those set routines, almost like a family ritual that you do. 
And so in this process, in this problem solving process, like you can ask them, what would you like me to say when I get worried? And I asked my son and he said, I would like you to say, we'll talk about your dreams in the morning. I'm like, oh, cool. Sure. Absolutely. And that actually works. Um, so here's this fun part. Once you have a picture together of what you would all like your bedtime to look like, and it's reasonable, you know, like everybody has to say, yes, it's, it's gotta be a win-win. So next step is you practice. You say, you know what, let's try this right now. I'm going to be the kid. You be the parent. I'm going to go lie down on the couch and you come and say goodnight or whatever you've agreed upon. So, so we're not just talking about it. We're actually playing through it so we can troubleshoot it together. Oh, and they, they also gain a little, a little bit freaky of empathy. Friday scenario. It's, it's totally freaky Friday bedtime. And they get a surprising amount of empathy for you. And it's actually what my favorite part of this is they will start imitating you at this point. Like you're the kid and you're doing your impressions of them and they start doing their impressions of you. And it's hilarious, but it's, is so much better than yelling at them. So you're proactively yeah. setting this up. All right. So essentially create some clear expectations, have mm-hmm. a consistent process, mm-hmm. follow through on consequences, like go, come back and talk about it the next day. Uh, use we to involve them in a thought process. Mm-hmm. Ask them some powerful questions. Mm-hmm negotiate ahead of time like this is a forehead slapping duh to me <laughs> i had i had just had one of those moments where i was like oh geez i you know you know better than this of course and then flip rolls and practice yes and the last thing was uh melatonin tipped blow darts <laughs> i don't remember the behavior godmother mentioning that but was that your addendum honey special <laughs> just didn't, didn't say that Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, you hide I'll, it in the I'll, pajama I'll, drawer, I'll silly. It. That's, yes. Um, yeah, and as a final step, you can actually do the, the whole version of it, like with them as the kid. And that kind of helps really cement it. That puts the bow on it. Like everybody knows what their job is. We're going to have a super cool bedtime tonight. Awesome. Great. And you're there. And it all works. Well, you're working towards something that you have both agreed on and that works for everybody. And it could be a 40-minute song and dance. There is going to be sort of a a testing period that comes after that. Like the kids will say, but what about this? And you'll be like, you know what? We actually, we agreed on it. This is is what we're doing. You can ask me that in the morning. And you actually might want to make that part of your initial discussion. Like, well, what if you guys ask me for something extra? What am I going to say? You can test that out in the troubleshooting, like in the role play. You can ask them for eight other things and listen to what they tell you. Yeah. Because they will put their foot down. They love saying no to mom and dad. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, Amelia, I feel like you have uh, transformed. I have so much hope now. Yeah. I really, really do. And it makes me, it makes me happy to have this tool in my tool belt. It feels like a better plan than uh, using the air nailer to close their door. Yeah. And it's probably better for fire safety issues too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Amelia, what is the best way for our listeners to find you and your resources and your blog and all that? Oh, I would love it if you came to visit me at ameliabehavior.com. It's behavior spelled the Canadian way. So you just have to remember to put the U in behavior. 
Uh, you can find me whoa, on Facebook. Whoa, wait a minute. That, right? that's, a, that's a mind <laughs> trip right there. You got to put the you in behavior. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm on Facebook at Creative Connected Parenting. And I actually do watercolor paintings that are related to parenting topics. And I put them on my Instagram, which is also Amelia Behavior. Awesome. All yeah, right. Be a well, treat. I didn't that, know that. I got to check that out. And we will include all those links in the show notes for sure. All right, Amelia, thanks for being on the podcast today. Such a pleasure. All the best with your kids. I can't wait to hear how it goes. So we followed Amelia's advice. And we had the conversation with our girls about bedtime. And they looked at us like we had three heads. They kind of did at first. They like were like three heads each, not three heads total, because that would only be one extra head. And she, <laughs> she had mentioned having the conversation like at breakfast time when it wasn't like in the drama of the bedtime moment. Yeah. And so they're like, but wait, why are we talking about this now? It's not even bedtime. And, you know. With this certain kind of terror in their eyes that we were going to make them go to bed at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it was spring break, too. So it was kind of like, wait, there is no bedtime. There are no rules. What are we even talking about here? But it's actually, Lord of the Flies up in here. It's spring break. But we did go with the new rhythm that we had established together. And it's been working. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would say, just like Amelia said, there's been a little bit of like, eh, maybe it's like an 80, 90% working. Um, sure. But I'm happy with 80 or 90%. I'm very happy with it. I feel less guilty sitting on the sofa watching a show while you were doing bedtime tonight. Oh, isn't that so sweet? So here's the challenge. <laughs> we... <laughs> We really do want you to team up as parents, jump over to Amelia's website and download her free copy of Bedtime Battles, Flip the Script, and enjoy a night without begging, negotiating, and tears. Just and like, gnashing of teeth. Just and all like us. Um, so as always, we're talking about the hot topics from the podcast and much more in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. Next week, we'll talk with military chaplain Tommy Watson and his wife, Jackie, whose work with military couples is transforming families amongst those who serve our country. They will share some helpful ideas on making marriage work, even if you're a civilian. Listen into a bit of our conversation with Tommy and Jackie Watson. When soldiers are deployed, what I'm finding is like for us, it was time for us to work on our marriage we were able to communicate more effectively and in a positive manner, separated from one another. In fact, we probably talked more frequently while I was deployed than when I was at home because, number one, he didn't know if we were going to see each other again. Or number two, the, the method of communication was short, and so we better have an effective, positive you know, conversation while I'm on the line with her. Mm -hmm. So... Our marriage grew, and I've watched other military marriages grow, but I also saw a lot that were destroyed during a deployment because of immaturity, uh, bad decisions, or they were just doomed. I hate to say it that way, but they were doomed to start with before the deployment. The deployment just yeah. gave them the opportunity to split up. 
not only do we get some great insight on what our soldiers face in their marriages, but we get to learn from a couple certified by the Gottman Institute in the relationship world. That is a really big deal. It is. It is. Can't wait to share more of that conversation with y'all next week. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash zero seven zero. And finally, We want to help more couples have the conversations that matter. So if you love the show, then please jump over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary.